was a time where iOS was like heads and shoulders way better than Android. And I don't think that is the case anymore at all. And, um, and more so now when most of your services that you use or most of the apps that you use are kind of pervasive across both platforms. Like, I don't know, I use email a lot and it doesn't really matter. It's going to be available on both platforms or say Google Docs or some maps program or even like some podcast stuff, which I haven't figured out just yet, but it will be available across both platforms, of course, right? Um, so as stuff are just are cross, cross-platform, the the hardware doesn't really matter as much. Like everything has a nice camera, everything has... Um, yeah, like a nice display on the screen and whatnot. Um, but it's really just the operating system, the little, I guess, touches between the differences um, between the two. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of, I really like the um, the back button on Android. I, I've missed that. I haven't had that in a long time. And uh, it, it's it's nice. And a lot of the weird but creepy things that Google does that you, yeah, I, I kind of think is cool, but it also creeps me out a lot. Like they have this uh, playing now feature where the phone's constantly listening and it's kind of like um, Shazam, but it it catches it without you having to actively um, listen for the song. So it's constantly listening. Whoa. And when it hears a song, it just will tell you on your display what the song is um, because it does catch. It does fix that one problem where you, you hear a song and you're like, oh, that's that's awesome. You, you break out Shazam, you try to Shazam it. And then by the time you do all that, like the song's over, right? Um, so it's cool. It's a nice little touch, but it also is a little creepy. The other kind of cool thing they do is like you can take a picture of um, any object. So I took a picture of an apple I had for, for lunch, and it told me it was a Macintosh. And I was like, that's, that's kind of cool. Um, or I took a picture of like this product, and it told me what that product was. Um, because you know Google obviously like they they know so much and they're, they're like even what they're exposing is only a fraction of like what they really can do right like um I had had lunch with uh Kai the other day and uh he was showing me like their computer vision API and basically you can upload a picture of a face and it'll tell you um like it'll do a sentiment analysis on the face it'll tell you if this face is happy sad um in the environment, what what's going on right now? Are you eating lunch? Are you eating breakfast? They'll like um, basically tag that whole photo with um, yeah keywords that represent the image. It, it's kind of, it's it's super crazy, man. But um, you know, and they also have this cool feature which I haven't tried yet. But you can kind of um, move your camera over like a storefront, and it'll pop open like reviews and like um, information about the restaurant or store or whatever. Um, so I don't know, it's some cool, cool, but creepy stuff, which is really what Google is Cre- cool and creepy. <laughs> cool, but creepy. I like that. Yeah. Good tagline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right. And I, I, I'm not against, I'm not against Google. I obviously, uh, I have this internal debate a lot cause I, I probably use more Google services that I rely on than Apple services. Mm-hmm. But as far as my... Um, like just entertainment wise, I'm totally locked into the Apple ecosystem just cause I buy so many movies and, uh, buy, I buy TV shows and I buy, I, I buy so many things from iTunes that I'm just kind of locked in. So, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I also I'm just not. I I think I'm more of the curated versus kind of hacker mindset when it comes to my phone. So I don't ever want to do anything that's not official on my phone. I've never had a desire to jailbreak it. There's never been something that I've wanted to do, but I feel like I can't do. So I don't know. That's why Android kind of, I don't know, never really got into it. Uh, I, I'm kind of in your camp. I find Google creepy, but it doesn't bother me. To me, that creepiness mm-hmm. is just the future, and it's just them being really, really smart. It, less creepy, just more like you and I yeah. see the smartness of it, whereas if you're not kind of indoctrinated into what's actually going on, it just feels creepy, but you just kind of know that it's really smart. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, we'll see. I'll uh, Next week, we'll have uh, a week or so under our belt with the with the X and I'll let you know what if there's been any been any kind of major issues with it but I, I'm sure there will be some I, I'm not expecting it to be like the smoothest uh, the smoothest curve but mm-hmm. we shall um, we shall see yeah man yeah I, I like I mentioned to you like it's kind of annoying on Android that there isn't I can't at least not that I know of like a native like podcast app that comes with it um then I go to the store and there's so many podcast apps and <laughs> and I don't know, some of them, have, a bunch of them have ads and stuff. And I'm like, I don't really want all this. So I started listening to podcasts on Spotify, um, which I guess I'm also thinking if they have podcasts on Spotify, that means that those people are getting paid then, I guess, if they treat it just like music. Oh, which is call. kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. Um, um so the one, yeah. the one here that uh, our podcasting app, the one that we stream, recommends, mm-hmm. is called Stitcher. Yeah, I'm on Stitcher, and I I thought it'd be Stitcher because Stitcher is pretty big on Android, but I I didn't see the pod. But anyways, so, we can talk about this later. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I'll send I'll you the it. I'll send you the link, and maybe okay. maybe oh wait a oh yeah okay. Man, we gotta. I gotta dig into this. It it looks like it's here, but maybe it's actually not here. Maybe I, I do need to validate something. So okay, mm. I will. Okay. Uh, I will figure that out. Uh, speaking of which, welcome to Pencil Problems, a show where Nick and Kent talk about problems that sound important but aren't. And this is episode number eight. Hey, yay. So, so Nick, did you uh, did you do any writing this week? Uh, I did. I did. Uh, I hit a bit of a, a, a writing wall. Uh, uh, there was a point where I was just not getting bored of the writing, but I had a whole bunch of other blog ideas that I wanted to write about. Um and then I started writing a little bit of those and I started getting more excited about those. And then I had to remind myself that I can't do that and I had to put those down. Mm. Um, but I'm kind of back on track now. Um, kind of, I'm editing, I guess, month six. And, and it's kind of tricky because I'm trying to edit month six, but I still got to keep up with what's going on right now in month, in month seven. Uh, so I kind of write two months at the same time in a way. Right, because you're like editing one and then writing the other one. Yeah, in real time. Yeah. Right. 
Right. Um, but yeah, there are like a lot of just interesting kind of things I want to write about, but whatever, I think I need, I need to focus and I have to remind myself that I need to focus and, uh, yeah. And come back to this. Well, and then like when you were, when you were doing the other ones, did, did, did they feel like pencil problems? Like, was it a, was it a procrastination or did you really just feel like you wanted to talk about something? I, I, I want to talk about something, but I think in the bigger picture, it's a distraction and mm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I just kind of started, I have like a one liner or a bit of a paragraph. I have some, some a little bit more than the others, but I have like five to 10 of these that I kind of started and they're just sitting in my drafts folder in medium and I'm just going to let it sit there until this is done. Nice. Did you ever do the, like the, the draft purge? I have a hard time doing the draft purge, but maybe, maybe it's because this is like my omni focus. It, 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 <laughs> yeah. it's, it's my idea dump and I just haven't, no, I, I, I can't, I can't purge. That's fair. No. And I think everyone needs like, if medium is, it's funny. I bet you you're in like the 1%, like how many drafts would you have in medium? I have about 20 in there right now. Oh, okay. Okay. That's not too, too bad, but I'll bet you you're, you're up there with like, um, a smaller group of medium people who probably keep that many drafts. Yeah. Um, but even when I'm writing this, uh, like the, the, the fatherhood stuff and the kind of day to day things, I have a whole bunch that didn't make it in that I just carry over from month to month. just like these insightful little pieces and, I'm like, oh, this is really good. It doesn't fit here, but maybe you can fit it into this part. And I just never fits. And I have like a hundred of these and they just, some of them are just like insightful, like one-liners. And um, yeah, if I can't fit them in somewhere, I will. But um, that's like another back carrying backlog that goes from month to month and it just gets bigger and bigger. Man. So uh, I was just thinking though, how, isn't editing kind of counter and doesn't it go against what you're trying to do with your, with your writing? Like, if the whole point is to kind of stream of consciousness your your um, thoughts and then you go back a month later and you change things, aren't you kind of editing the past or something? Yeah, but sometimes it's like um, like the moment would be um, the other day uh, she, uh, Abby was like scratching her ear a lot and when she's sleeping and I woke up when she woke up and there's like blood all over the crib. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, what, what's going on? And uh, it wasn't a big deal. Um, we just had to cut her nails and whatever. She has a slight skin infection, not a big deal. But um, yeah, at the time when all I wrote down was like blood and crib. Ah, okay. Right. So it's more um, like that reminder to go fill this in. Yeah. And I just bolded and just, and I, so in my whole stream, all the bolded ones I know I have to edit. Um but yeah, yeah. And, but sometimes I, I will like, you know, it doesn't sound right. And I'll just kind of rejig it until it feels cohesive and tight. Um, but yeah, yeah. And maybe that's cheating. I, I don't know, but, um, no, 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 no. I, it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah there, there's no rules or anything. It's just, um, uh, I've always wondered that with people, like I remember listening to this pod, uh, one of Joe Rogan's where he had this guy on talking about, false memories and how easy it is for people to uh you know you don't even do it consciously like you just you know your memory is not reliable so you'll go back and mm. think of something and you'll see yourself at a place and you might not have even been there or 
you can really remember you ate this, but you didn't eat that. You ate something else. And um, I feel like the longer you like, it's good that you do it monthly, because I think if you went back now to to month one, you would be you would probably be like almost implanting memories that might not have actually been there or um, anyway, yeah. it's just like memory is just yeah, very no, like, no, un, unreliable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no, that's interesting. I, I, I do also wonder, like, do you have a earliest memory that you remember? Gosh, great question. Uh, yes, I do remember an incident in preschool where somebody broke a robot that I was pretty fond of. And mm. I can see the face of the person who did it. I can't remember his name. Um, yep. But yeah, like I remember, like I can picture the classroom. I can picture the sun coming into the room and like the shadows on his face. And yeah, like I've got a very clear picture, but I would have been like four probably. So do you actually, do you think that's a real memory? Or you think you made 99% of that up? Oh, I'm sure I made most of it up. I, I've so I, I check with my mom. She does remember that there was this person in my class that I used to complain would take take my stuff or, or break it. So yeah. she thinks there's probably some truth to it, but that like the details of it, I mean, she doesn't remember. And um, oh, I after listening to that podcast, where I mean, without going into detail, you can you can look it up if you're interested, but there was basically this whole like string of um, satanic devil, like these, these people who were convinced that they were being molested by a satanic like uh, cult. Mm. And it was actually a psycho like a psychologist who was basically like skillfully planting memories in people's faces. And it took another psychologist to kind of, I think this was like an NPR. It was like a Radio Lab podcast where they, they, they basically got these people and they administered these tests where they can objectively show that they don't know what they're talking about because they would contradict themselves all the time. Um, so they would like implant a memory that on a certain day they were being ritually abused by a, a satanic cult, and then um, they would get them to admit that. But but at the same time, they were also doing this and then they would actually know really where they were and they had like a anyway it was this fascinating wow that's like, really, it's, that's really but it's terrifying up. like this guy this this, <laughs> yeah. this dad basically went to prison for 30 years and never wow. admitted to these crimes because his daughter claimed that he he was like ritually abusing her and he had he had never done anything like this and and then it turns wow, out that this psychologist really was just like basically psychologically abusing the anyway it's like one of those like it doesn't even sound real but there's now like a whole field of psychology around um, and they even think about like with veterans and stuff where you're, you're undergoing all this crazy stress. Like is your memory of war really reliable? Um, it's, it's fascinating how fragile like our memory basically is. Mm. It was kind of the thesis of this whole podcast. I'll try to find it and actually update the show notes. I did get some feedback that, that called me out for, basically just not doing what I said we would do, which was one, include chapters and two, provide show notes. <laughs> so Whatever. apologies, Nick, not you, Nick, the other Nick who gave me that feedback. Um, yeah, but I don't really, 
uh, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. I think we're just going to keep on rolling here. Once we hit like a thousand users, a thousand listeners, maybe we'll, we'll start breaking up into chapters. Yeah. Uh, Nick, Nick, uh, other Nick, we're, we're going to move at our own pace here. So yeah. whatever it happens, it happens. But this other Nick did put me on to the show Rick and Morty, yeah. which he told me about like years ago when it first came out. And I just thought he was stupid. And I watched five minutes of it and thought it was dumb. And I'm I'm now just it's like the best thing in the world. It, it, to me, it's the funniest. It's 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 dethroned South Park already. Oh wow! It's so I good. Have, you, I have a lot of people told me about it. I've never actually got into it yet. It's so funny. Like you got to give it four or five episodes, like anything. But if you like Futurama yeah. and if you like South Park, right. uh, you will you will love the Rick and Morty. So I highly recommend. Uh, have you shipped any product? Oh, I did. I shipped. Uh, you know what, though? I had a rough, rough week with AbleCell. So I found out that a plugin I was using to collect email addresses was not working in Internet Explorer, which was a really hard bug to, to find. I actually got on the phone with two customers to pinpoint this. Um, so that was that was fun. And I so I shipped four orders this week oh okay yeah. what did again, you do last I, week uh last week i did five so one one less this week but um Still consistent yeah not bad and you know i'm i'm really starting to give it a, a second look again now because uh to be honest i was on my high horse about the 20 mile march in seo five weeks ago and mm -hmm. this has been such a busy month for me in november that I have not been marching at all. I've been at a total standstill and just relying on AdWords to drive traffic. So it's still very cash flow positive. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm looking forward to our episode, episode 10, where we really do a deep dive because I've got some questions that I'd love to run by you on some next steps here. But anyway, the other uh, problem that I ran into was I ran out of friggin' product and I didn't even... I didn't notice until I went to ship it. So I kind of learned the hard lesson of just really mm -hmm. making sure my inventory is actually mm -hmm. updated. And I, and now that I, like, as soon as it happened, I, I, I realized what mistake I made where I just gifted one to a friend and I forgot to like subtract it from my inventory. So I was off by one and uh, anyway, it just really sucks. So luckily I just contacted the person and, uh, you know, put my tail between my legs and, you know, told them that I'd be getting a shipment in soon and I'd make up for it and I'll throw in some free keto bars and all that jazz. So, mm. but it sucks because now I'm, I actually have like what my, my top selling product I am sold out of and I am waiting for it to clear customs. So, uh, and I'm going away next week. So it's, realistically i'm kind of in a limbo for like 10 days now so Ken, i'm probably just going to turn off you, the adwords and just sort of let it ride while i'm away can't just send it to me i'll take care of it for you man uh, no i i'm i think i'm i'm going to take my other uh my buddy up who has a warehouse i'm going to take take him up on his offer and really just start to pass this business over to him because nice. it's okay it's a lot it's a lot more work than than I thought and not that I don't want to do it and I really think there's an opportunity it's just I I have such a flaw where I just overestimate or I underestimate how long things are going to take so 
does he do the fulfillment then? He'll yeah, he has a team it. that'll do like pick and pack and and um, oh, amazing. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. But I mean, my margins are. I need to do some research into margins. Like I was talking to my dad who used to run a drugstore and I told him that I was, I have, I have like a 25 to 35% margin. And he thought that was pretty bad. Like he thought I should be at kind of 40 to 50%. Mm -hmm. And he kind of just, we sort of started doing the math and he's like, yeah, I mean like this is great, but he's like, unless you're doing, you know, 500 orders a month, like you're not really going to be, you're not really mm. going to be making money here. Like this is kind of a, you know, maybe you'll buy a few dinners every once in a while, but this isn't, this isn't like life changing, you know, money here. Like, yeah. do you really want to yeah, do yeah. this? Like, like, why are you doing this kind of? <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think I'll, I'll give it another six months and then, you know, really evaluate it uh, next year and see, see, see what to do next. I'll definitely, it's not going to go away. I want, I want it to live. It's just, will I be doing it or will I try to basically, you know, pass it off to somebody and, uh, and just get like a small residual every month or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, not okay. interesting. Anyways, um, episode 10, let's, let's go into it. Yeah, I have, yeah, have yeah, a yeah. bunch of ideas I want to run, run by you as well. Okay, cool. So, um, all right. So I think, uh, I'll just sort of dive in because I, this is a big topic that I wanted to get your, I wanted to pick your brain on. And I guess I've been thinking a lot about um, sort of norms and, and cargo cults and just how we, how we make decisions more at work and then how that translates to life and, and like in our own personal lives and then in our, in our family and our home life. So, uh, the example I'll use is, um, you know, and, and again, like just, you know, we've already talked with this, so I'll, I'll kind of, I'll cut it down. We don't have to pretend like you, you haven't heard me talk with this, but, um, you know, so I, I eat a lot of eggs personally. I eat a ton of eggs and every time I talk to people about how many eggs I eat, if it comes up in conversation, the, the first thing they'll say is, oh my God, like your cholesterol must be so high. And I used to engage them. Now I don't because it's, it's almost so frequent that I just lost the energy. But if you don't know, there is absolutely no link between dietary cholesterol. So cholesterol that you eat in your diet from red meat, from eggs, from anything that just has cholesterol and what's called your serum cholesterol. So that's like what's the like if you go take a blood test and they say, "Oh, you have high cholesterol." There's there's no correlation. Uh now, sorry. That's never there is a correlation for a small subset of the population, but because I have my 23 and me uh data in hand, I am not in that small subset, so I'm part of the majority where no matter how much dietary cholesterol I eat, no effect on my blood cholesterol. And mm -hmm. this is not a new finding. This is like, uh, this is, let's say, five to seven years old. But it's now just starting to get into the American dietary guidelines. And um, by the time people like your doctor, when you go to the doctor's office, they might not find out about it for another five or six years until it gets into textbooks and what's called like the standard of care. Anyway, the... It, it just kind of terrifies me when I think about that. And I'm, and I'm so easy to point the finger at how corrupt the medical system is. And this is why I didn't 
become a doctor in the first place. And, you know, it's all pharma money and it's all this, this, this. Like, it's so easy to make fun of how inefficient the information transfer is in something as vital as medicine. And then I kind of was thinking about that this week and, and just sort of looking at what I'm, what's going on at work right now where we have this, this really big month and we're trying to just artificially set a crazy goal and hit it. So we're, you know, thinking outside the box. We're, we're trying all these different things. And what I've noticed is that at Hubba, because I've only been there for seven or eight months, there's a lot of these, let's call them axioms, that are these are just either these are just truths that we carry around with us at, at Hubba. So uh, one of the truths is that um, so we have brands and buyers that buyers just don't uh, like to click on marketing emails, and we have just troves of data to show that we've tried all these different things and and just buyers just don't don't seem to click on on things. Whereas brands click on everything. So now you kind of have this this rule that gets institutionalized. Then I join Hubba and I get onboarded and my whole team tells me this and the execs tell me this and everyone tells me this. And what you what you realize is that you you totally just get shaped by this truth that might not actually be a truth. The same way you're gonna to go to your doctor next week and that you're gonna tell them you eat six eggs because you heard it on this great podcast. And your doctor, who should know better, is going to say, ooh, you better get your cholesterol checked, even though that's total, total BS and shame on them for not knowing that. There are probably 10 or 15 of these things that are affecting you every day at Sego and that are affecting me at Hubba. These things that we take to be truth but, are, but aren't true. We just haven't done the research to figure out if they're true or not. And I guess my question is, do you agree with that? Do you think that there are these these things that you don't investigate, take as a fact, but could actually not it could be the exact opposite of what you think? So the example I thought of for you is you've told me that, you know, even Sago is now moving to more of this uh or you're experimenting more with freemium because that's where the market's going. We're doing subscription, but yeah. Sorry, sorry. Subscriptions yeah. um, instead of just paying for apps, like paying for them outright. And the question is, okay, so like, why did you do that? And we don't have to get into all the like business and revenue ways, but is it just something that you saw happening in the market and decided to to try and then saw okay. some data points that you would keep going on? All right, um, so... yeah. Lots, lots of thoughts on, on this in, in general. So first with the Sago stuff, um, it's also, it's a big part of not just, I guess, us, but it's a lot of it's dictated by Apple, right? If, or, or the platform partners. So if Google or Apple, if they are kind of pushing subscription um, and they're incentivizing uh, subscription, it's also going to mean that maybe subscription stuff are going to be more featured because they are pushing something like that. So if you are at the forefront of that, you're going to probably get higher likelihood of you, you your your products being uh, featured or supported by Apple. Just like if right now you had your thing ready for iPhone X, um, the chance for you to get featured by Apple is probably pretty high right now. 
um, because not a lot of other people are going to have all their stuff ready for iPhone X. Oh, okay. Yeah, right? that makes sense. So some of, some of these things are dictated by Apple, and but they also have the data that probably supports that subscription is the thing to put the bet on. Do you know what I mean? Like they they have enough data to say like, okay, this is where the premium's going. This is where paid's going. This is where subscription is. And okay, subscription's on the rise. So it's become a thing for Apple that they're going to invest in it. And it's obviously a thing because now you look at Google and they're doing the same thing and they are incentivizing it, um, subscriptions as well. But subscription, I think, is all actually just all around us, right? And, you know, we had the option of going paid, free, or there's really three models, really. There's like paid, free, um, maybe ad-supported, I guess, which we wouldn't do, freemium, which we kind of don't really do, and then there's subscription. And subscription is kind of like a bit of that happy medium in a way. And in some ways, uh, in a lot of ways, like subscriptions around us a lot. Like if you look at um, even your, your, your life, like you probably don't realize how many things you're actually subscribed to. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, 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 you know, like your, your Rogers bill, your TV bill, your, your um, internet, um, your Spotify, your Netflix, there's so many of these things. Um, so some of it is, not necessarily us riding like drinking some kool-aid and going with it but it's also like the market dictates where we can where, where we should go in some ways right and you kind of want to be with that wave um but to your point about like the eggs and you, the stuff you're talking about there um I, I i'd also question the other way right like yes so you're you're arguing that that eggs actually it's bogus and they're it's not nothing wrong for your cholesterol, right? Right. Yeah. But I'm sure there's hundreds of papers that argue the counter to that, and it, it depends on which side of the fence that you're gonna you're gonna support. Because I I could like as you would argue that maybe it's big pharma that's closing things down. I can argue that maybe it's the dairy farmers of Canada which are supporting those papers, right? And mm. I, and no. I, I don't know, like, I, I don't know, but it's, it's like the, the data has to be read both ways, right? Like you might've read one paper and you might've been really moved by it. And you're like, yeah, this is, this is fact, but I've read a lot of papers in my time. And I don't know, like a lot of them are kind of like hokey, man. A lot of them, I'm like, uh, like, that's a pretty big conclusion you're making there. But, uh, like in your study, was your sample size big enough? Um, was like. Your, what was your control like what kind of like how how's your experiment actually set up like there's a lot of things in there that I, I don't know if you did a study with like a thousand people I don't know if that's enough to really convince me that cholesterol is good for me or, or like egg the cholesterol from eggs are good for me or, or not or cholesterol in general is good for me or not I, I I don't know um so okay I think you're I you you know you, you make a really good point I think in this case where the the cholesterol one maybe is a bad example is that i mean there's just uh because it's more scientific and there are there are more sophisticated ways of of knocking this out this is one of those things where it's and again i we've never talked about things like climate change but it's one of those ones where sure you can go find uh 50 phd's who uh who claim that climate change is not real and that it is all, you know, a hoax or it's totally overblown. Like there are a lot of PhDs who will go and say that on TV or write papers about mm -hmm. it. But then there's, you know, 
15,000 on the other side and they're saying the opposite, right? So, I mean, mm -hmm. there, there does have to be like, and again, I, I don't know where I kind of fall on this because I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate right now, but I can totally see your point where, and again, I mean, uh, don't, don't send hate mail, but even on the, the climate change stuff, I mean, if you really go down the other rabbit hole of the people who don't believe it, you can hear some some things that just you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Okay, haven't thought of that. Uh, I I don't. I'm not an expert. I don't know the answer, but that's an interesting question that the other side has not addressed or talked about. So yeah, let's address that and then maybe move on to the next one. So there are things that are um, that are that are not maybe black and white or. Mm -hmm. But there does come a time when you can just look at it and say, um, I think it was Lawrence Krauss, the, the famous kind of atheist um, physicist who loves doing those open debates. Like the problem with a lot of kind of the argument you're using is that, sure, you can always find a paper that'll say the opposite of something else. But it's like if you're having a debate about climate change, you know, you'll have a climate change denier and a climate change pro you know pro and, a, and an anti-person and there'll be just two people on stage when really he thinks it'd be more powerful if you had like a representative audience so he would get to bring 10,000 of his friends to stand behind him and you would only have two people standing behind you and then listen to the debate and see really now where you fall on the on the continuum like do you trust the yeah, guy with, think, th with three friends think, or do you trust the guy with 10,000 friends I think that's kind of hokey and bullshit though, you know, like, because like at any time there's going to be a big change. So like in your egg example, if you did that thing with the egg example, you're going to get a million people who are on the eggs or eggs are bad for your cholesterol. Right. And you're going to get a powerful five or 10 who are going to say like eggs are, are great for your cholesterol. So by, by that argument, you're going to, you're going to lose that because you know, you're, you're not the loudest voice in the room. And I don't, I don't know if being the loudest voice in the room is a good argument. It's a good way to, 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 to win that. Like, I think really the, the proper ways to have proper science behind it, but, um, yeah, but, but hang on though, man, you're, you're drifting pretty close to, you know, like the alternate facts kind of, uh, like <laughs> I know, I know, I know that's not what you're, what you're advocating, but there are like the difference with, the climate change example and this cholesterol example now is there are, you know, thousands of meta studies and, and um, longitudinal studies that are saying, no, no, like it, there is no link with cholesterol or no, no climate change is real. Like I don't care what you other people believe there are, there is objective science saying that, you know, yeah. when, when X, then Y kind of thing. Right. So yeah. I think that, but, but but again, then again, the the devil's advocate in me says that this is actually kind of the problem that that we're talking about. Where, I mean, we can pick on atheists. I think they're the best example of this, and um, I think we both listened to, to Sam Harris's podcast, where you know he, I think he maybe has mentioned this in passing, but he's essentially created a religion. So he is an anti-religious atheist who has created a religion of people who worship him and his ideas 
and buy his books and would probably go to war if he asked them to. Like there's enough people who follow Sam that if he declared war against Islam or against Christianity, he would probably go to war and take up arms against them. And I'm not exaggerating. Like there's a there's a pretty militant group of people who follow his anti-religion dogma who worship him like a god. And I think you run the risk of like when you have the majority behind you or when you have the science behind you, that's when you're, you could also be the, like the most exposed to being a part of a cargo cult because you really think you're in the right. And then you, you just ignore all other data. Does that make sense? So, but are you saying like, um, if you have a lot of data backing you in your argument that cholesterol from eggs is actually good for you, um, sorry, that is going to make you part of the cargo cult? It's going to further well, your support of the cargo cult? I mean, okay. Now you get into kind of the, maybe the, the conspiracy aspect of it where, okay, if you had an objective way to say that that data was great and really good science and the studies were well-designed and the metadata was great and the meta-studies were good, okay, no, you should be able to say we are on the side of truth there are objective facts in the world. And one of those facts is that for the majority of the population, eating cholesterol does not raise your cholesterol. That's just a fact. You know, gravity mm -hmm. goes down and that, and this is another fact that we add to the book. Sure. But then what happened was for, for the past 50 years, you have had a cargo cult of people who have said that cholesterol does, dietary cholesterol does impact serum cholesterol. And the mm -hmm. scary thing is just a year ago, the expose in the New York Times came out that the sugar industry was paying scientists in the 50s to blame high cholesterol on fat and cholesterol, when in fact, there's actually a higher link to to sugar. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is like you, you had a bit of a, a, a conspiracy or a cabal of people influencing the data who then dictated 50 years worth of of scientific and and medical policy, right? So mm -hmm. taking your Apple example, you think Apple has done, or you're, you assume that Apple has done this research and that subscriptions are where it's going, but what if they're just like looking at Netflix and being like, wow, well, they seem to be doing their research and they know what's up. So yeah, maybe we're just going to follow Netflix. And what if Netflix is looking around being like, we don't know what the fuck we're doing, but whatever. We're just going to go subscription. Like who, who's like you're, you're putting your faith in Apple and you're, you're yeah. hoping and assuming that they're doing that research. And I guess what I'm arguing is that, I don't know, maybe they're not, or if yeah, they were, so they, they're never going to tell you or they're never going to, you know, I, I don't know. It's just like, how do you know, how can you really reliably use that data to make a decision unless you do it yourself. So I guess in the Apple example, like it doesn't even matter what they chose. They're just going to, they're so big that they dictate the terms mm. of the yeah, game. That's fair. Right. Right. So if they say suddenly like freemium is the only way to go, then kind of like everyone has to kind of jump on board on that, you know, and that's just, it's just how it is. But, oh, okay. So like going back to when Apple was really hot on like skeuomorphic design, they would, yeah. they would feature more apps that featured skeuomorphic designs, whereas now that they've sort of gone 
the Johnny Ive uh, flat minimalist. Uh, now those skeuomorphic apps will never get featured because they look dated or they look against Apple's design philosophy. Yeah, yeah, um, and and, that, and that's literally just like one one person's subjective feeling. But it's just like, does this fit with the Apple's kind of aesthetic? You know, and right, right. Of, but I mean, and, in this I'm, case, but but in yeah. this case, Apple's pretty clear that like there is a guy named Johnny Ive, and he is responsible for setting the design aesthetic at Apple and whatever he says it is, it is. And then now that has these cascading effects across the entire app industry because of what Johnny Ive wants UI kit to look like. Yeah. I know that definitely has a huge impact. And even for Google too, same, same thing, right? Like you, when you design stuff for Google, they, you have to kind of adhere to their design guidelines. And if you don't, uh, I'm sure that impacts your featuring as well. Right. Um, yeah, that's true. Like when we were at Tilt, we literally had Google come to us and say, if you do these three things, you will be featured for this many months in our store. And it was use material design because that was just getting really hot at the time. Mm -hmm. You have to use Google login and you have to use, believe it or not, wait for it, their Google Plus API for for like sharing things. And this was only yeah. like this was only two years ago. They were yeah. still trying to make Google Plus a thing, and we just sort of said, "Now nah, we're good." And we uh, we never got featured on the Android uh, market, but we did get featured on Apple a couple times. Yeah, so you know it, that that is what it is. But um, I do I, I do kind of think though that uh, what you're talking about, like this cargo cult, um, it's kind of like. Uh, like herd mentality, no? Like yeah, in a way. yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's so, a that's a less that's a less douchebaggy way of saying cargo cult, yeah. Um, but it it applies like everywhere, right? Like so, like I, you can argue that cryptocurrency probably is is a bit of like in 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 that mode right now, or um, like the Toronto housing market, you know, and everything when people start buying, everyone's like, oh, I want to get in on that. That seems kind of cool. And then there's a bit of like greed and delusion. And then this becomes like, oh, this is like the new kind of normal now. You know, like this is going to be the price of real estate in Toronto forever. Or this is going to be the price of Bitcoin forever. So I'm just going to I'm going to get in now because this is just this is the rate. And I don't know, at some point, I guess at some point the bubble pops and things kind of fall. But there, it's funny, like, it, like you go to a restaurant or you start, you go to like a food court or something and you see a long lineup at a place, you automatically just kind of like curious, I'm going to line up. I don't know what they really make here, but it sounds like if this many people like it, it must be pretty good. I'll, I'll, I'll buy some of that. Um, and I've been guilty of that a bunch. Um, but that applies to like all these other things though, right? Like um, even like the egg thing you're talking about, uh, not necessarily climate change. I, I I believe climate change is, is a real thing, but um, you know, there's a lot of these things are. It has a certain amount of momentum to them that um, a lot of people just kind of follow suit. So maybe like the minimalist design, and that's like the hot thing, and a lot of people kind of just follow follow with that, and that becomes like the, the that new normal. Um, and then you need something really disruptive to kind of just change that again. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I think another way to think about the, the herd mentality is just like hur heuristics, right? Like, um, so like social proof is, is just a heuristic. It's, it goes way back to, you know, back when we were fighting for food in the savannas and you have three people over here drinking from this water and nobody drinking from this water over here. The chances of you getting sick from the one with the three people drinking from it are a lot less likely than the one with nobody drinking. And now that's why you line up at a food court. Even if somebody has just like growth hacked this, you have a piece of your brain that says, ah, yes, I will not die. Or if I do die, all these people will die with me. And yeah. that is a heuristic that you use to make decisions, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of goes back to, have you ever read that book, Thinking Fast and Slow? No, I haven't actually. Oh man, you got to add that to your list. It's like, it's one of those ones that I, I revisit like every couple of years because there's so much in it. But, you know, the, the idea is you've got two systems, the fast system and the slow system, system one and system two. One of them is your, your impulsive, just heuristic, like the one I just said, like, oh my God, a lineup, I, I must line up. I, there must be something here. I, I, I must see what is here, right? And those mm -hmm. are typically these like, deep evolutionary cultural subconscious routines that are running to just make sure that you don't have like decision paralysis. So um, it's the reason why, you know, infomercials use doctors, you know, social proof. It's, it's all these, all those like marketing influence tactics that you hear about, like authority, social proof. Um, I'm blanking on the other ones. Now those are all attacking your system one and mm -hmm. Then your system two is your analytical, oh, wait a second. Uh, what if all these people are being paid to line up here? I don't even like this food that they're serving. I'm not even hungry right now. That's your system two that's kicking in. And if you're, if you can identify these, um, these tricks, basically, then you're less likely to fall victim to a system one trap if you can activate your system two. And... Mm -hmm. And I think that, yeah, it's, oh, it's fascinating. And when you really get into it, like it happens to you on a daily basis all the time. And, um, it's, oh, it's so, yeah, you got, you got to check it out. We could do a whole podcast on, there probably is multiple podcasts just on this idea of system one and system two. And, um, and as a marketer, I use, I try to hijack system one if I, if I'm trying to get you to do something and because I, I research the stuff and I know the, the tricks and I try a lot of different ones, um, you know, just like any good, you know, conversion rate optimizer, it's amazing where you just try some little thing. And in my belief, as long as you're being genuine, as long as you're not flat out lying, it's not really, it's not, it's manipulative, but it's not, it's not, um, it's not, in a negative way, manipulative, like it's, mm -hmm. if you're just lying and manipulating, that's, that's different. But, uh, anyway, where I'm going with this is I, I still worry that with growth, for example, like my whole job is you're trying to build a series of, of data and you're trying to run an experiment, learn from that, and then do another experiment that's different enough to give you new information and then just repeat over and over again. And if uh -huh. you can really do that loop, then 
I think you can grow any company a lot better than like, that's the, that's actually a formula for how to grow a company. And the trick is, can you do that fast enough before you run out of money or before your competition overpowers you? And if the answer is yes, then you win. And if the answer is no, then, then you lose. But the actual algorithm of growth is like super simple, but it relies on having this data. So when you come into a company that's been running for four years, you have this decision to make, like, do you trust that that, that those experiments were done accurately? So, Mm -hmm. you know, like, for example, I just hired a paid, uh, like a paid person to, to run our demand gen and focusing on our paid side. So, you know, first thing in my onboarding is I just give them the lowdown on what's worked and what hasn't worked. And I have some, you know, experiment briefs that kind of explain it. So, Hey, LinkedIn, we're looking at $38 a conversion. Uh, Google, we're looking at $17. I've never been able to break 17. I don't even think you should try. It's it's just, it's a lost cause. Mm-hmm. Five days later, he's taken that 17 and brought it down to eight because mm-hmm. he knows a truth that I didn't know. Right. So, he knows a secret about the world that I don't know. And he's able to cut that in, in more than half in five days. Now mm. that's why I hired him. He's a super smart guy. And, and I, I knew that in the interview, but at the same time, like how many of those other things then do you take for granted that if you looked at would probably, you know, maybe not be true or would be one of these cholesterol things where everyone tells you it's true but until you actually go and look at it, how do you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so first of all, how did you feel after this guy brought it to, brought it to eight after you thought it was at seventeen was the kind of ceiling, uh, the the floor? Oh, I mean, and to be fair, like I I I, I really wasn't <laughs> surprised because I, I I said, look, I've you know I've given this like nine days of optimizing. Um, yeah. You know. I might have even said like, I'm sure you can get it lower, but I, I can't like, this is as low as I can get it. Um, but no, I, I was very proud and I was just very happy that I picked the right person. Um, <laughs> that was awesome. and, uh, you know, I, I, hopefully we can get it even, even lower. And then, and then when I saw what he did, it was, you know, it was just like, Oh wow. Yeah. That's so, why didn't I think about that? That's such an easy optimization. Um, mm-hmm. and, but then it it reminds me of all these other so i started evaluating like these different things that people just just say as truth um you know and again i know we we talked about maybe we'll cover this in another episode but one of the ones is like that like retail is dead is this thing that you hear over and over again retail is dead and you know unless you've actually dug into it oh oh you there yeah can you hear me oh i can hear you now sorry we lost each other yeah i think we lost each other for like 10 seconds or something oh weird okay i will check i will check the tape during post um no no but it's 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 true though like i I think even at at sago so we we were doing this um we have sago mini world and it's a subscription service and this is our first time kind of doing like a whole onboarding screen to get people to subscribe and we had this notion of this hard sell and it's essentially when you first download the app there's a small window 
which might be an assumption where we're talking to parents um, because, you know, for an app for, for preschoolers, parent might download it, might play with it really quickly and then kind of vet it, hand it to their kid and then they're, they're off making dinner or doing their own thing. Um, so we had this notion of like a hard sell, which is basically um, you download the app. When you open, we put you at that decision point right, right away. And it's like, hey, just try this out. No harm, no foul. It's free for seven days. You can cancel any time. Just, just try it. It's free. And we went with that approach. And there was so many different approaches we could have taken. And we could have maybe just dropped them right into the pre-trial experience. We could have uh, pitched them a whole bunch of different products. We could have made that screen a little, a lot more clear. But the thinking was, um, you know, you're at the top of the funnel. Um, we want to get as many people in. And we want to make it feel very seamless and easy and, you know, feel like you're not, um, you don't have to think too much right now. And, you know, um, we had other people who came onto the project later and we made this assumption super early on. Um, and it, it's worked out quite, quite well. But when other people come on, they kind of look at it and they think that, okay, this is just how it is. This is how it's supposed to be. Um, and it doesn't have to be that way this was just kind of one way we approached it, but we could, when we experiment with this, we AB and we tried different things. And, um, you know, we, we, we experimented right now, we're experimenting right now with uh, offering like a monthly and annual on that screen instead of just like a try now and defaults you to like say month monthly or something. And we found like a lot of people were just subscribing straight to annual and they, they, they preferred that. Um, but, I can see how it'd be very simple for someone to come in and just feel like, okay, that's, that's fact now. So I'm going to move on to the next problem. And part of that I think is, well, a, you're just, okay, I don't want to rock the boat. There's probably a bit of that, but B it's probably like, they probably put a lot of thought into this. So I'm going to move on to other, under other problems that haven't been thought of and jump to different problem sets. And I'm sure that that probably happens. And that's what you're talking about right now. Yeah. And I think that's the advantage of getting, uh, when you get it, when you get your company to a certain size where, you know, in one of our other episodes, we talked about like breadth and depth where mm -hmm. this is where depth really helps, right? Because then you can, you can take someone and say, your only job is to go deep on paid and, mm -hmm. and you can expect them to, to have breakthroughs that you're not going to have because they're, they're thinking about that problem more. They have the time to, to do the research, to look at the literature, to, to try some five things instead of one thing or something like that. And mm -hmm. whereas when you're in that breadth stage, then you just, like you say, you just like throw up a conversion page, you throw up an optimize, like you don't really optimize it. You just kind of put it up there and hope that it works. Um, well, you kind of make your best educated guesses, right? Leading up yeah, to that, you have your assumptions, yeah. but you kind of have to pick a direction and go, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, but but anyway, it just like it this this cholesterol thing <laughs> shook me, where it just reminded me that I I do think that there are uh, like again, I'm super into this whole like nutrition space, and I I follow the primary literature a lot, and I actually read. A lot of that stuff just because I'm interested in it, and it, it it sounds funny to say, but I really do believe that I know way more than my doctor about nutrition, and mm -hmm. I would 
trust them to, you know, do surgery on me and fix me if I had a, uh, like an acute injury, but I would never take nutrition advice from my doctor, which is pretty funny when you think about that, like to, to hear mm. someone say that. And I, I was just trying to reflect on where in my life am I the doctor or at work? Where, like, where am I the doctor where I think I know what I'm talking about, but I, I'm, I'm totally, I, I'm, I'm using a playbook that was written 30 years ago, or I'm so deep in a cargo cult that I don't even know that I'm, that I'm there. And I, I try not to be that way with, with growth just cause I'm, I've been humbled so many times to know that I know nothing and all, if, if there's one thing I'm good at, it's just trying everything over and over again until one thing works. And again, it sounds so trivial, but that's really what my job is, is just not giving up and trying a whole bunch of different things. Um, and, but then, you know, like as, as parents and I, I mean, even like screen time, I think screen time is a great example of, I have never read any primary literature on screen time. So mm-hmm. I've read, you know, news articles and maybe an Atlantic article, which hopefully seems like it's the most in-depth one I, I read. So they clearly did their research, but they have their own kind of agenda. And I would never trust anything you guys write because obviously you guys have an agenda. So what, you know, do you do the Elon Musk thing and go to the primary research and teach yourself all about you know, how your eyes have photoreceptors that respond to different light colors and that impacts your serotonin and your dopamine levels, which then impact your, you know, production of ghrelin and melatonin. Like, like that's how Elon Musk would approach that question based on mm. what his answer has been for like, hey, how did you like launch a space company? You know, he just nonchalantly says, oh, well, I read five or six textbooks on aeronautical engineering and it's really not that hard and the core concepts are pretty simple and and I don't think he's trying to show off I think he just it's very easy like you you start from first principles and you just mm-hmm. you learn everything from first principles you don't trust you don't tr- trust other people to do the learning for you you just go right to the source and so maybe do you think that's more of like just a depth approach then that he's oh, yeah, totally. I mean, he seems to be some freak who can just do it in multiple fields, you know, while running two companies and having five kids. And I mean, I don't know, maybe he's just on Adderall or something, but he mm. he seems like he has a way of, of doing that. I've tried to do it on a couple things and, and find that I just, I don't know, I just don't, mm. I, I don't have the time. Like if there's one there's one place I have it's probably in my my daily life like my work life um where you know when when somebody says display ads are dead my first instinct is to go run an experiment to see if they're dead in my world versus in in this person's world and yeah um, and there's so many variables in that right like and that's the problem with even the experimentation stuff and growth like there's so many variables that if you just use a different image or use a different tagline, it, it, it just might shift things from $17 to $8. It depends what your call to action. There's so many variables in, in the, like, that experimentation, right? 
that I do think if you were to you have to have almost someone doing be having that be their full-time job to run through exhaust all kind of different permutations and really feel conclusive that yeah okay on google averaging out depend no matter what the kind of uh, call to action or images you're going to use this is about what you're going to pay um versus like linkedin or something else like um because there are yeah there's just so many variables in the experimentation yeah so i mean like what do you um is there any are there any truths that you think are like that you just take for granted at in kind of the 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 app development world that if you had to kind of if, like is there one that you can think of where if you had to make a bet that it might be wrong if you actually looked into it like is there anything that stands out to you or um or you know is it kind of less prone to those kind of debates no like we we make there's we make a bunch of assumptions all the time and part of it is just the experience of doing it part of it is looking at kids and how they play um you know things like putting kids at the center of the experience allowing them to kind of create their own narratives um treating like our apps like toys for kids um a lot of these things are you know in principle they're like yeah that makes complete sense because this is really how kids really play and this is what they do in real life so that should transfer over very well to the apps and there's enough research that would agree with that um but at the same time i don't know like once you introduce the screen there are different variables you're you're applying like even the fact that it's a screen versus like now you're not playing with a physical um doll or something that you're creating a story about but you're doing it in a in an app that's probably enough to kind of just change that equation a bit um it it obviously like you know we work under the assumption i don't think it really it does and i think it still applies to kids um because i think inherently there's something there about um kind of narrative and storytelling that that resonates with kids no matter the medium um but still that's an assumption right yeah and, for sure yeah um but you know, and part of that is like we 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 try we try this with kids. We bring them in, we test this stuff out, and they are kind of our experimentation group, really, right? right. They're they're kind of like like if you do growth hacks and you're you're looking at raw numbers, we're just kind of looking at kids' faces and seeing like mm -hmm. are they into this or not? Is this is this is this a bad guess? Should we have not done this? Um, and that's where that kind of comes in, right? Um, hmm. Yeah. But and the other thing too is just like sometimes I kind of feel like too much information is is bad too. You know, um, I kind of so I I kind of feel like dietary wise, like if I just eat a balanced diet, I'm probably cool. I that that should be probably pretty good. And it, it's funny when you talk to doctors, like and you were mentioning doctors, like because like older doctors, like I've my my doctor, he's like. He's kind of old and he just, not that he doesn't give a fuck, but he kind of, your arm has to be literally like off your body before he's <laughs> like, wow, we, we should call the hospital. Because generally he's going to be like, yeah, it's, it's fine. Don't worry. It's normal. You'll be okay. And he's looking for, he's just looking at the raw numbers. And he's looking for huge spikes in things and huge anomalies. And he's going to be like, okay, that's a problem. 
but generally if your things if your like cholesterol is up uh, you know a couple uh, i don't know half a point or whatever else um he's like whatever it's not a big deal just keep eating what you're eating it's it's fine um but that's how he's kind of wired and his but a lot of that is the stuff that you have like you mentioned like the thinking fast thinking fast thinking slow and how those two groups and I think part of that for the doctor though comes with experience. Like I think a lot of the stuff that uh, you use as the thinking slow and you read the papers and you have done the analysis, I kind of think a lot of those things he has inherently moved into the thinking fast group, even though Hmm. he doesn't know why he just knows that I've seen thousands of patients and I just know this is a problem. Something's weird here and I don't know what it is, but my gut reaction is you should go see, you should go to the hospital right now, or you should not worry about this and you should go back on your couch and eat more chips. You're all good. And that, that's, yeah. that's really, um, I hadn't thought of that before. I, I wonder, I got to remember now if they talk about that in the book, because that, that makes a lot of sense. Like if that's, um, if that's what can happen where for some people it's a system too, and, and really it, it explains the whole idea of of like experts, right? When and intuition and and mm-hmm. why why is it that yeah some doctors are just better diagnosticians than others, and it's because like you say they've seen thousands of cases, they just know they just you know this is not to be I don't have to worry, and then other times for some reason they're worried and they don't know why, and they know that that means they have to call the hospital. Mm-hmm. I. I do think that over time, those will start to break down where computers will just get better at this than everything. So the computer will diagnose you better. The computer, like I, I, I think sure. intuition will just disappear. I mean, system one will wither away as we start to rely more and more on AI because the whole reason why our brains invented system one is because there were too many inputs and if you spend too much of your time thinking which way should I run, the tiger is going to eat you. So you eventually have to invent heuristics to help you make a decision, which might be bad for you. Like you might pick the wrong path and die, but as a group, mm-hmm. you'll you'll survive. So that's why system one is as powerful as it is. But because we can start to delegate that all that thinking to our phones or our AI one day, system one will we won't be exercising it as much and eventually it'll just go away, I think. And the computer will be, will be system two. I kind of, I kind of almost think it's like the opposite. I kind of feel like, um, I think you're, you're going to rely more on system one and system two being the thinking slow is going to be the computer just doing all that to affirm your decision. Mm, but hang on, but or, or, I, we're, yeah. we're not we're not we're not apples to apples here because you haven't you haven't read the book. Like the problem is, system one is is very bad. Like you you will typically make the wrong decision when you rely on system one. So, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the the best example. There's like a really simple example. Um, oh man, I can't. Uh, but I, you you must make a ton of great decisions based off system one. Uh, no, but again, this is this is actually another. This is one of these like confirmation biases. So, you you think that's the case, 
because you think that intuition and expert intuition should be better. But in fact, when you look at the data, experts get their predictions more wrong than non-experts do on, on, on average. So mm-hmm. if you took a group of AdWords experts and asked them to uh, guess at what the conversion would be for a certain campaign with their expert opinion, they will be wrong with more um, standard deviations than if you asked a thousand non-experts and just averaged their answers. So, Hmm. and there's hundreds and hundreds of examples where like basically our intuition is that system one is, is the ultimate system, but that's again, another system one. It's almost like system one slipping in the back door where it's, it's a heuristic to think that our heuristics are good because then it means we'll keep using our heuristics. So have you seen the movie uh, Sully with Tom Hanks? Uh, No, I haven't. Okay, so I'm going to totally spoil this right now, but it's basically about this guy who, uh, Sully, who's Tom Hanks, who's a pilot, who saves this plane from crashing. Right, yeah. Um, Basically, they lose both their engines. Yeah, he basically manages to land the plane in the water, save everyone. Um, But the whole movie is, is basically about kind of like system one versus system two. And one of them is like, they do analysis and they do a whole bunch of thousands and thousands of simulations using computer. And the computer basically says that he could have landed the plane normally. He didn't have to go in the water. He basically risked everyone's lives and he should be fired. Right. Hmm. And his argument is basically, well, uh, I landed the plane, so everyone's safe. But there's so many kind of decisions that have to be made in that split second that a computer has all the time in the world to process this. Like they can process all these things, but in the in a real life situation where the human is in charge of that and they don't have that time, they have to make these kind of gut instinct reactions. And um, that's what he did and to land that plane. So it was kind of like your, your simulations are, are a bit flawed because you have to account for a bit of that human processing time that has to happen and to 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 take in the situation and to react and when you when the computer simulation started adding in that bit of buffer time there they all crashed into the city and you know know, the whole everyone died or something right Mm, true but you could just say that that's because we just don't have fast enough computers right so i think that if you play this out into the future you will have a computer that can do without without even questioning two times the number of computations that our brains can do per second. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so again, like I think we're just in this weird buffer zone where it's like our computers aren't as good as we are, but in mm-hmm. our lifetimes, they, they will be. And then I think mm-hmm. the whole game is just going to change where... Uh, and again, I don't like that I think like this. Like, I'm not proud of how I think like this because I'm a, I'm an intuitive. I I trust my intuition. I trust gut feelings. I believe in things I shouldn't believe. I believe in conspiracy theories. I I'm a like I, I'm a I'm a I'm an enigma in my understanding of these systems one and two. But I know that I rely on system one way more than system two. I'm very gullible to infomercials. I have bought many things off of television. Like. And I know all this stuff. They're all kind of defects. Um, 
but one day there will be a computer that will be able to actually help me make better decisions on this stuff, I, I think. And I'm not happy about that, but the more I've kind of thought about it, I just, I just know that, or, or even take me as a marketer, Google is already better at marketing than I am. So Google has conversion optimization on AdWords now, and you know it's, it's just better. It does things that a human would not do. And do you want to know how we got our conversion rate down from 17 to 8? We yeah. turned on Google's conversion algorithm. And I just had forgotten to turn it on, basically. So Google found a way to get us from 18 to 8. And, sure. and that's only going to get creepier and creepier as, as time goes on, right? So I think that in the Sully example, like maybe now he, like I, I would argue, I haven't seen the movie, so I should probably watch it before I cast judgment, but he probably just got super lucky. Um, and probably shouldn't have landed the plane on the water. <laughs> he, I mean, he, he might just be the luckiest guy in the world who, even though, but no one likes that story. That's not a good story. You don't make a movie about the luckiest man in the world. So our inclination is to say, no, actually, he he's an intuitive hero who saved all these people. Whereas mm. well, it's probably more likely that he just got really, really lucky. And if the well, simulations were all saying he shouldn't have landed on the water, he probably shouldn't have landed on the water. Well, the argument was like he had to land in the water because he needed they, – they basically – the simulations need to add an extra 30 seconds of like buffer or something. Um, and the buffer is to account for that human processing time. If he was a robot and the plane was self-automated, it was automated by a machine, the machine would have – once the engines failed, it would know directly to go – and go to land and if it did that it would have landed properly oh i see so he had like this 30 second window to make the right decision and or like five seconds i don't even know how much right time, right, but right, yeah, right. But right 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 yeah, okay yeah. there's okay. a very a very small window to make that right right decision of what, of what to do um but he basically used intuition to fill that but um yeah anyways the i i, I don't know i i kind of i don't i don't know if i want to believe in in this Ken, I, I, I'm way more of a feeler, intuitive kind of person, uh, so I don't, I don't want to believe this, um, and I, I want to believe that I make a lot of good, intuitive decisions every day, and um, you can maybe argue that the good ones are maybe me just catching luck all the time, um, or it's maybe me just. Do I maybe it's there's something in not always making the right decision that's great. You know, like it, like if if the computer were to really automate this, okay, and you're talking about serving up ads to me or something, which you know they already do. Um, like in the Google, uh, the Pixel Two I have now, they have like this kind of um, I don't know what the section's called, but like a news section. And it looks at like topics that you looked at on Google or it thinks that I might like, or maybe I've seen them on YouTube or something. And it just serves up all this news about these topics. And it's constant. I'm like 90% of this I don't want because I might, someone might've sent me a YouTube link that I watched and I was like, oh, it's kind of funny, but I don't really care to watch, to read like 10 articles about like dogs on on sleds or something do you know what i mean like it, it was it was funny one time 
but I really don't need an encyclopedia of this every day. This is too much. Hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it's not, and, and it's the computer making guesses, but it's making kind of the wrong guesses. Um, and sometimes I want that serendipitous uh, article from like a publication. And it's funny because the way they're approaching it is they, they kind of, they're on their high horse thinking like they know the topics I, I want and they probably know a lot of the topics I do want, but they're, they're not getting it right. Um, and they're serving me content no matter what publication about these topics. Whereas I think I'd much prefer if it was a publication I follow, like let's say it was, it was Vice or um, Wired or something, and they gave me a whole bunch of different articles that spurred my interest. I think that's a better approach, but Google is the big machine and they're like, no, no, we, 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 we know the topics you like, but they, they, they don't. Ah, but see again, like not to be, not to, it's fun. It's fun being like, I'm, I'm really on your side on this one, but I, I find it easy to debate the other side. Yeah. 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 I, I think that you're, what you're describing is just an imperfect algorithm. So we're in this weird middle ground where there are still humans who can curate better than a machine or maybe can curate better with the assistance of a machine, but we're only 10 to 15 years away from that not being the case. Like, like eventually Google's robots will know to serendipitously, like you'll be able to program serendipity into the algorithm. It won't be called that, but you'll be able to program in surprise yeah. and delight and you will, you know, this is like the whole kind of Turing test. Like you will not know the difference between whether a human picked this article for you, knowing you intimately or whether the machine did. And I think that mm-hmm. to think that's not going to happen is just kind of being naive to where technology is going. Like the, yeah. You know, and and again, doc, like if I was a doctor, I'd be very worried right now. Um, if I like right, if 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 I was a doctor at our age, there is no chance in hell, no chance in hell that you're gonna run your life as a as a career doctor in our lifetime. I, I'm I'll predict, like, you you might be there mm-hmm. as a dog and pony show, but mm-hmm. they are already showing how the amount of mistakes you make because of system one as a doctor that have life and death consequences, like. Even something as simple as doctors are better at diagnosing after lunch than before lunch. So mm-hmm. if you're unlucky and see a doctor at 11 o'clock, he might miss something because he's hungry. Whereas if you see him at one o'clock, he will catch pre-cancer. And the, the number of cases where this happens and it leads to death are so high that insurance companies are mandating um, artificial intelligence machines to to double check the doctor, and lo and behold, these doctor these these machines are going to be are already getting good at diagnosing, and in the next ten years, will be better at diagnosing than doctors, hundred percent, hundred percent. Like yeah. you you might yeah. still get the people who are like, oh, I'm going to go to my my guy because man, I'll tell you, he there's something about him, he can beat these machines, and sure, if you want to believe that, then that's cool, but you're, you're not really, you're not right. I mean, the, the -hmm. machine will, you know, it's the same way. It's like someone saying like, Oh, my buddy, he's a human calculator, man. He can, he can, he can do anything a computer can do. Uh, And that's not true. Like eventually you're going to throw a calculation at this, at this cat that 
a computer will just beat this this person on and mm-hmm. I, I again i'm kind of sad as i say this like the, the when i say it out loud i i believe it more because when i hear it i'm like yeah everything i just said right there i really do believe it's it makes me sad but i, I don't think it makes it any less likely to happen yeah no that's that's interesting and i can see that future for sure and across like a whole bunch of different professions as well right um like i guess in that scenario we kind of don't need doctors you just have nurses and ai robot um diagnosers out there yeah i mean if you think about it like all doctors really do right now is is treat symptoms right acute pain Mm -hmm. and symptoms Mm -hmm. um so if you have a a machine at that end and then focus all your energy on prevention Mm -hmm. then that whole profession just disappears which is so fascinating like and again i'm being i'm being dramatic but i'm also kind of i can see a future where that whole profession just gets squeezed right out um yeah and and it's like one of the most important professions in our in our society and it could totally go out the wayside. And I know we wanted to kind of explore how AI will affect, uh, you know, other other things, even like programming. So we can get into that. Like, I think we should, totally should explore that in, in another episode and mm-hmm. kind of pick up pick up this where we left off because I think there's a there's a ton of there's a ton of stuff here and and kind of to loop it back um, on on that first question. Like, I I think where where I've kind of netted out and I guess my algorithm or my framework is I try to think more in terms of systems and algorithms than, than in intuition. Cause I, I know that my intuition is not, it might point me in the right direction, but it's not really ideal. Like I'm, I, I know how bad my system one is. So for example, like we, we don't have to get into it, like into the whole analysis right now, but I actually look at, at growth, like a, like a, like a topology or like a, like a, an opportunity space. So, you know, you've got different peaks and like, if you picture like a, like a mathematical, like a 2d, like a, or a 3d plane and you have different peaks, right. Or different valleys and peaks in this, in this topology, you know, when you start a company, it's like just throwing yourself on this topology. You might start off in a dip. You might start off at the top of a hill. Like you kind of, it's kind of random where you're going to start on this map. And the goal is to climb the biggest hill you can find. And Mm -hmm. what happens is a lot of companies just are lucky and they happen to be standing next to Everest. And all they have to do is identify that Everest is beside them and just climb Everest. And that's like PayPal where they find two or three growth channels that just kind of work for them and they just keep on climbing until they realize that nobody is even close to them. And they've, they've, that, that's like the Peter Thiel zero to one monopoly. I think what a lot of people, like the, 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 the subtitle of, of all of Peter Thiel's philosophy on this is, yeah, if you're lucky. And I think he doesn't account for how much luck he seems to think that he could somehow traverse this topology and always find Everest. If I was sitting next to Peter Thiel, I would argue that he was very lucky and just found Everest first. Um, well, he also had a good product, which placed him beside Everest. 
Mm, no, see, I disagree with that a little. I think that, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a bigger, this is a bigger topic. Maybe we should shelf this one because I think this could go. I could, we could go to fuck another hour on this. But, um, I, I don't necessarily believe that. I think that, I think he. Uh, I, I see what you mean. And you know what? Maybe, maybe that's a good way to beef up my thinking on this, that the product, the quality of your product determines your initial position on the map. Yeah. Okay. I'll give yeah. you that. That's a very good yeah. way of looking at that. So your product dictates your position. And then as, as the growth team, your job is to make sure that if you're climbing, are you climbing like Blue Mountain or are you climbing Whistler? Because if you're climbing mm-hmm. Blue Mountain, that feels really, really good in the moment. But if Whistler is is somewhere else on that map, then you need a kind of a, you know, a, a randomizer to make sure that you can pick yourself up and drop you somewhere random in that in that map to go see if you can find a bigger hill. So it's kind of like simulated annealing or all these different algorithms that you can use, you know, hill climbing algorithms and, and all these like machine learning things. That's how I approach growth. So I'm always in my head visualizing, okay, where are we right now? Are we, are we in a hole? Are we next to Everest? Are we climbing blue mountain and trying Mm to, um, map out this topology. And the only way you can do that is by like running experiments. Um, yeah. And you know, and that's the hard part, I guess. Like if you look at it from like, if you look at it from a product standpoint though, I think a lot of people who build products build it out of intuition they rely way more on intuition than they do on, um, say, like the experimentation of like you, like you, you're not gonna build. You need growth to build up PayPal, but you're not gonna have PayPal if you don't just have a gut feeling that oh, this is like a gap in the market. I, I think something like this could work. Mm, like that's you fair. Have to take you're that, right. You yeah, you, you that, need you that initial. That yeah, that's true. And then so I think if you're wired that way and you're, you're instinctively relying on a lot of, yeah, your, your intuition, you, that's just it, it, cause it's like, okay, that, that got me here. That got me to step one and that got me beside Everest now. And okay, I, I'm, you're going to trust that it got you that far. You're going to keep trusting that. Um, whereas I think with people with a like growth mindset marketers, I think do, rely more on the numbers and not, not to say you don't on the product side, you definitely do. But if you rely too much on that, then I also think that hurts your product. Mm, okay. In but can many I, ways. can, can I yeah. throw your own words at you here? Yeah, so yeah. what if what you think of as intuition on the product side is just like your doctor example, where he's actually using like, you're actually doing all that calculus in your head, mm-hmm. but you're so good at doing it that you think it's system one and intuitive when in fact it's actually not. It's something that you could teach a computer to do, but for some reason you're wired to do it very quickly. So you attribute it to intuition when in fact all you're doing is actually measuring discrete objects and collapsing them into some kind of a function very quickly and you call that intuition but a machine would just call that an algorithm. Like, do you think, like, what, what do you think about that? Um, sure. Yes. But I think in order for that to even become system one, though, you're going to have to 
you're you're gonna i don't know like yeah yeah no no for sure like there's but that goes to your whole thing about um experts and generalists right um so does it matter how the computer classifies that i i sorry i don't i don't fully get where you're going with that <laughs> no no so i think what i'm thinking is like so you 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 said that product relies on a lot of intuition yeah so the same way when we were talking about um uh, doctors you're like okay the reason why that doctor has that intuition is because he's seen thousands and thousands of of patients right yeah. so yeah. it's yeah. kind of like a like a neural network right like he, his weights mm. are being tuned every day because he's seeing all this training data coming in and then he just instinctively can start to classify people as a or b and i guess what i'm saying is like what you call intuition um, somebody else could just call an opportunity for an algorithm to figure out what the weights are to make, like, essentially, like, the the question I'm asking is, will there be an AI or will there be a machine that can create the concept of the game one day? Like, to create that spark of create, like, that that creative spark. Do you think that's something that you could teach a computer to do? I know that's a loaded question. That's a huge question. But, you know, can you, will we be, programming creativity into into these machines wow that's crazy <laughs> but yeah um yeah I, I don't know i think to a certain extent i think if you um so for example um a machine could easily identify gaps in the market and for example like uh let's just say i want to make a I don't know, like a razor or something. A, a computer can definitely identify that the razor market is is underserved. Uh, you can, you should definitely. That's an area to zone in on. Or like PayPal, like maybe it would help identify that um, electronic money transfer is an underserved market, and that should be. It, it can it can point you in the right way, right? But I guess it's par. The the hard part is like you have to feed the machine those specific questions and those specific questions take intuition. Hmm. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's one of those like who, who invents the machine that invents the machine, right? It's like eventually like, yeah, I no, I totally get it. Like you, somewhere you need that, that intuition to kind of kick the whole thing off. You need, you need someone to chart the course or, or, or to, to steer, steer the ship. But I guess chart the course. Steer the ship or chart the course, but you, you, know, need, you need someone yeah. to be the to be the captain and to say like which way should I go, and well, this is yeah. I, I I need to get here. And, and you're right because even if we go back to the and, and this is why like I can totally play both sides because if you go back to the example of like the neural net, somebody has to classify that training data, so yeah. somebody has to say okay here's a thousand reps, and one yeah. is A and two is B and three is A and four is B and like someone has to do that in advance. Yeah. And the yeah. crazy shit that's happening right now with Google is that you have AIs training AIs, right? Like that's this yeah. that's this crazy step function we're seeing when you talked about your Pixel 2 being able to identify an Apple. That's an AI training an AI, training an AI a thousand times, right? And that's yeah. that's crazy that you can kind of do that. But the but somebody did that initial programming. Somebody did the initial set and that required intuition and 
Hmm. Interesting. Because I mean, because I think yeah. the computer is good at optimizing, and I think when you get to that stage, it can optimize the shit out of that. But someone had to even in the beginning for even for you like to say like, what's the adword we're gonna we're gonna are we gonna do adwords and where should we what kind of adwords should we do what kind of things are we selling, like there's. That stuff may, maybe could be kind of automated in that kind of market. I, I don't know, but if you're if you're making PayPal, there's a bunch of decisions like how are we gonna take payment? I don't know. Here, machine, tell me which is the most efficient way to do payments. How are we gonna? What kind of like typeface should we use for this? And how big should these like login boxes be? And I'm sure the computer can tell you that, and the computer already tell, can tell us a bunch of that, right? Um, but to, I don't know if the AI can ask all those questions. Maybe, maybe at some point. I don't know. No, I know. And I mean, I think like we're, um, I, I think we've explored this, this space. Uh, I think we started climbing Everest. I don't know if we got to the top, but um, I think we can, I think we can shelf this for, we definitely have another, a whole topic on, you know, AI and, and what that means for, for our, I mean, I've I've kind of hinted at where I stand on what it means for my job and why I have, I don't believe in job security in in this day and age with with my with my profession, um, but um, man, that was a uh, uh, that I think was we're a all kind of robots are taking over for sure. Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure, dude. You you want to want to get your mind totally blown? I listened to a podcast yeah. yesterday that said that. The, this this biologist I uh, can't remember what pub like what paper he published in. He, he's like outlined a pretty compelling case that humans might just be the evolutionary arm of of bacteria. Like we like all we are are these complicated transport systems for bacteria to move from place to place around the world. Anyway, we can we can unpack that one day, but. Um, <laughs> If, more so if, than mosquitoes, more, more so than mosquitoes and I don't know rats. Yeah, like he he made this whole like he's 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 making this claim that the the gut bacteria in our body influence a lot more of our decisions than we think. So they've found this link between gut bacteria and depression and gut bacteria and cravings. So like people mm -hmm. who are really bad at like eating sugar like and this is why i get interested in it because sometimes my craving for sugar is so overpowering there's a lot of evidence now that i have certain bacteria in my gut that just crave glucose and and that's yeah. actually who's craving it it's not me it's actually the bacteria hijacking my brain who's craving oh, that yeah, yeah yeah it's super fascinating so like they release these cytokines which then cross the blood brain barrier which actually influence your neurotransmitters and get you to crave sugar and then i eat sugar so that they can eat the sugar in my gut and like so i'm basically serving them what they want to eat and they've found this now in two or three cases where your gut bacteria is influencing your physical world like physical decisions you make in the world if you drank six bottles of kombucha and totally changed your gut bacteria, you wouldn't make those same decisions. Isn't that fascinating? That's crazy. So it's like the gut bacteria are like puppeteering and we're the puppets. So Man. I'm 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 back on kombucha, so maybe this is good. It's good. No, dude, kombucha yeah. is good. You gotta keep those gut bacteria guessing. You might have like a super you know, you might have like a splinter cell in your gut that's, you know, 
trying to get you to do things that you don't really want to do. And, uh, you know, kombucha will keep, uh, kombucha is kind of like in the wire where you got like different rival gangs always fighting for position, fighting for turf. You know, you can't let one, can't let one gang get too powerful on the, on the corner. Oh man. So, so kombucha essentially just resets the corners and makes and everyone's got to re reclaim their spot is what you're That's saying. That's it. It's just a constant, uh, it's a constant reshuffling. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> on that on that note, I think we will officially cut episode eight for the books at one hour right, thirty six minutes, November ninth, twelve oh seven a.m. We did it. We made it. Cool, awesome, man. All right, dude. All right, Have ninety a great two night. more. You That's too. it. Ninety two more. We see that Casper money. Love you, dude. <laughs> Peace.